I thought that uh, what would be good is to get a better handle on a lot of the uh, ideas or events happening today, you know, that there's certain concepts which I think would be very valuable to know. And that's what I wanted to speak about. I spoke about it a long time ago, but there, there's certain fundamental ideas which I, I, I want to go into. And I think that provides, in many ways, a good explanation of how we can understand the events of today. Uh, there's a concept of time. There are two types of calendars. There's what's called the creation calendar and the world, and the world calendar. Two types of calendar. And based on the creation calendar, uh, you can actually see when things basically should start happening. And that's a very important sign, indicator, of what all this means, especially the, uh, the current events in the 21st century. We know that the world was created in six days. Uh, yes, and therefore the Gemara says these six days represent, each day represents a thousand years. The Gemara says, The world will exist uh, for, for uh, 6,000 years because each thousand years of the, uh, the uh, 6,000 years really is a connected or matches or parallels the six days. Each day is worth a thousand years. As it says by Dovra Melech, uh, you know, 1,000 years in your eyes, in our eyes, is like one day in yours. Therefore, there are 6,000 years that the world will last, and that is the five day, the six days of creation. Now, that is a very important indicator in terms of figuring out what some of the pivotal events are. Now, if we take a look uh, <clears throat> uh, at, at what's going on, so we have, um, so far, 5,000 years. The year 5,000 was the English year, 1240. And on the creation calendar, what was it? On the creation calendar, it was Thursday night, 6 p.m. Because you have Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, 6 p.m. is five days. That is the year 5,000, which in the English year is 1240. Now, there were many things, and now, why is that important? Because Thursday night is really Friday, beginning of Friday, and Friday is the Erev Shabbos. So therefore, we know, therefore, based on that, on the Erev Shabbos, what happens? You begin to prepare for Shabbos. You see? Thursday night, there are people that actually prepare Thursday night for Shabbos, because it's Erev Shabbos, which is Friday, and so on. Uh, therefore, <clears throat> In the year 1240, I had mentioned a long time ago, a couple of years ago actually, and that is that on Erev Shabbos, which is the year 5000, the Zoya says that the Messianic light came down or begins to come down on the year 1240, which is the year 5000, right? Which is Thursday night, Erev Shabbos, which makes sense. Now, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but fundamentally, the Messianic light, which is the Or Mashiach, manifests itself, at least now, in one of two ways, which I mentioned. One, uh, science, which is the concept of understanding the premise of the Bria, the internal structure 
of the physical world. And in many ways, that's what the messianic light, it enables you to understand in any given phenomena what exactly internally is going on. And therefore, I once mentioned a long time ago that Roger Bacon, who began the scientific method, where he went away from Aristotle's approach, uh, which was basically armchair theory and so on. And he developed what's called the, the uh, method of uh, analysis called the scientific method. And that's what began really the approach to understanding what's called the internal structure of the physical world. That's on one side. On the other side, that was also the beginning of Kabbalah. Because the Zoya was written or was discovered, I should say, uh, approximately in about 1290 and so on, which uh, is really the messianic light, of course, in spirituality. So really what the Zoya is describing is that is the beginning. You see? Thursday night, 6 p.m., English year 1240, the Hebrew year 5000, Erev Shabbos. Now, we'll jump ahead, of course, to what is called 1990. Now, 1990, which is 750 years later, okay, is what's called Chatzoyas, uh, 12 o'clock Friday noon, 750 years later, so that's 5,750, which is 1990, right? And this, on the creation calendar, is 12 o'clock noon. Now, that's very important because the preparations for Erev Shabbos really begins seriously after Chatzos. That's when people really begin thinking about Shabbos. That's when women begin to prepare whatever, the chant and so on, you know, for Shabbos. So that means that that is a very pivotal time for the beginning of redemption. 1990, which is really September 1989, because that's Rosh Hashanah uh, of uh, 5,750 and so on. In any case, so that's 1990, let's assume. Uh, and that is, like I said, Erev Shabbos Chatzos, which is a very pivotal time. Now, there are many things that happen, right, which are very important. One of them is that that's the fall of the Berlin Wall. That's the beginning of the fall of communism. That is the rise of the Internet. And the concept of the Internet really is global connectivity. It enables the entire world together to be able to watch, let's say, one individual in real time in terms of a spiritual message. Very important. You see, the Internet is not Yetzirah. The problem is that whatever comes down is always given to the Yetzirah first. But the concept of an Internet really is the concept that all mankind, the whole world, because there are billions of people on the Internet, can all tune in to one message in real time, which is very important. So not only that, but also that was the beginning of the Arab Intifada, the rise of the Muslims, the rise of Yishmael. So <clears throat> besides that, from 1990 and on, uh, the amount of Chokhmah, science and technology, that has uh, proliferated since that year is astounding. You compare the world in 1990 to the world now in 2019, it's hardly even a comparison between the two. And that really is the Hispashtus Chokhmah, 
the enormous acceleration and proliferation, proliferation of wisdom that is coming down. So all these things started about 1990. Now, we are, however, now in, in the 1219. That's very interesting. What, twelve, the year 1219, of course, is 5,779, uh, you see. So it is interesting to observe what does it look like on the creation calendar? You know, not the world calendar, but the creation calendar. So, what you have to understand is that in the Novi it says, the ace Erev or at the time of evening there would be light. What does that mean? That means the redemption period begins at the time of evening. It's Mamish in the Novi. Very important idea. That means whatever is going to begin happening that's going to move the world toward redemption, which means the Messianic era, will start era of evening, that's after Chatzois, which is Beinu Arbaim. When does evening start? Not from 12, but from 12.30. Sheish Vachetzi. That's when evening really starts, you see. And uh, because that's called Beinu Arbaim, that's when the, when obviously the, uh, at Chatzois, at, mid, at, 12, at noon, the sun is above uh, at the meridian and so on. But the first time you could see it is when it can create a shadow. If you put a stick in the, you know, there's no shadow. But after a half hour, all of a sudden you see a shadow beginning to move. So, Beinor Bayim or Erev and so on, even though it starts technically at Chatzois, which is 12 o'clock, really begins at 12.30. And that begins the time of Erev and the time of Beinor Bayim. And the Novi says that at that time there will be Light, yeah, or that's an incredible remez illusion to what's going to happen when after 1990. That's what he says. In fact, somebody who knows this could have predicted that there's going to be a massive change in the world after 1990, noon, which is exactly what happened. Now, if you think about it now, 2019. What's that time on the creation calendar? Interesting. So what we see now is if 1990 is, uh, is uh, 12 noon, right? 1230 was approximately, I think about 2008. So therefore, uh, that would really begin, because that's already Erev. Like I said, 1230 begins Erev evening. You see, and 12, approximately 2008 begins 12.30. So we can expect that something really is going to happen. Right? Did it happen? Yes. Because 2008 is the elections when Obama won. And he, and I mentioned all in this room about in terms of who Obama is and so on. Uh, so 2008 was a very pivotal year because it radically changed America in that sense. But we are now at 2019. So what's the creation, according to the creation calendar, what is that? That is approximately 1245. You see? So we are already past 1230, and we are really moving up. So you can already begin to see 1245. That's interesting. That means a lot of serious stuff is going to go on. Really serious stuff.
you see. So uh, that's an important idea that you have to know, what's called a timetable of what we are seeing now, you see. Which really says to us that, as they say, you haven't seen anything yet in terms of what's about to happen. Because as time moves on, 12.45, 12.50, 1 o'clock, and so on, enormous events will happen, you see, uh, in terms of redemption. From the, uh, from the concept of the Novi, uh, uh, that uh, there will be light uh, at the time of evening. Now, so that's the first thing that you should know. The second thing which is important is that in the time of Egypt, there's a very interesting posik which says, before the Rabbanisham appeared to uh, Moshe Rabbeinu at the snare, the burning, uh, burning bush, it says something very interesting in the beginning of Shemois. It says that after all the terrible servitude, the affliction, the slavery, and so on, it says that the cries of the Jewish people went up to God. And it says, Vayeda Elohim, and God knew. What do you mean God knew? Of course he knew, he knew this before. God doesn't know anything at any time. He knows thousands, millions of years in the future, whatever that is, you see. What that means is that when we say God knew, that means a certain time period had arrived, you see. That is redemptive, it's messianic, you see. What is that period of time that's redemptive, you know? I once mentioned quite a while ago that this world can be looked at from the standpoint of the tikkun, which is the, re the rectification. <clears throat> that there's Odom for before the fall, right, before the evening and so on. And then there's the 2,000 years of mankind's attempt to do the tikkun. And then there's a Jewish attempt to do the tikkun for the next 4,000 years. <clears throat> I also mentioned that there's a termination phase. And that phase itself has three sub-phases. One is the, uh, the Ikrasid the Meshicha, where God now rearranges the entire world <coughs> to bring the Mashiach. The second phase of that is called Aschata de Gula, the beginning of redemption, you see? And we are now in that phase, basically, you see? And the third phase is, is of course, Yemusa Mashiach, which is the actual Messianic era. We are right now at the end of the Ikrisit Mashiach, you see, the end of the Ikrisit Mashiach, and we are what's called the pre Aschalta de Gula, the beginning of redemption. And that has certain indicators or hallmarks that happen, you see. So, Vayeda Lakim really, in certain ways, is a precursor to the Aschalta de Gula. What defines the Aschalta de Gula? You see, what defines the beginning of redemption is that whoever the Mashiach is, Mashiach ben Yosef, knows that he is the Mashiach. Like Moshe Rabbeinu, for the first 80 years of his life, I mean, maybe he suspected there's something unusual here, because he obviously was an incredibly great man, even then, with enormous potential and talents, you know. But as far as he was concerned, he's just a regular guy in that sense, you see. He didn't know that he was the, actually the messianic figure for the Jews in Egypt, you see. However, what happened was, of course, is that he was informed that he's the Mashiach, he's the Messiah. 
And his job is to take the Jews out of what's called the Klippus, out of Egypt, right? To give them the Torah. And then to build the Beis HaMikdash, you see? And then to reveal also the Orishim, the Messianic light. By the way, those are the four tasks of the Messiah, Meshach ben Yosef, you see? Again, one is to take them out of what's called the Klippus, out of the Tumah, to take them out of the, the, uh, the uh, area of the Sutton, to take them out of the, um, uh, the, the Golas, so to speak. The second thing is to build the Beis Hamikdash. you see. The third thing, of course, is to uh, bring down an Orishim, you see. In any case, these are the objectives of what the Mashiach ben Yosef does. And then Mashiach ben David comes, and of course, then he institutes the whole concept of the Messianic era in, for, in, for, in, in seriousness and so on, you know. In any case, so what happened is, is that, so Moshe Rabbeinu was informed who he is, and that begins the Aschalta de Gula, the beginning of redemption. However, there's what's called the pre, uh, the pre-idea, uh, the pre-Messianic uh, redemption, which means that even before the Mashiach knows who he is, you see, he himself has to be removed from what, 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 all the obstacles, which I mentioned a long time ago, that prevent him from growing in spirituality. You see, in other words, he himself has to be removed from his chains, you see. And then, once he's removed from his chains, whatever the, the impediments are of his spiritual growth, he has to be removed, and then he can begin to grow, you see. And that is really, in many ways, pre. So, Vayedolokim means that God knew, which means that what he's going to do is begin to remove the Mashiach himself from his impediments. And ultimately, of course, be informed. <clears throat> what that is called, is, that's called the Pekido, the remembrance. The Ramchal in Maimah Gula speaks extensively about this. And what he says is that the Pekido, Kabbalistically, just to mention it, is when the Yesoid enters into Malchus. In other words, when the Shefa of Yesoid actually now comes down into Malchus, which is the ninth sphere into the tenth sphere. And what that does, it releases the clipper of the Mashiach himself. It releases the impediments or the obstacles of this messianic figure. You see. And therefore, the, the Bikida and so on, yes. And that's why when Moshe Rabbeinu came to the Jews in Egypt, he used the very words which are critical. What is that? God surely has remembered you. In fact, Yosef Atzadik, before he died, said that that God will remember you. And he obviously referred to the Pekida, you see. So therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu used those very words, and that's what he's telling Kleinsville. By the way, the Pekida, the idea that you are now going to be released, okay, has now been activated. You see, now the second phase of the Gula, of course, so fine, so the Mashiach ben Yosef has been removed from his impediments, from his obstacles, fine. But what about the Divine Presence? The Shekhinah itself is in Golas, you see. Because fundamentally there are two things in Golas, which means in captivity, which means that there are obstacles to their revelation. 
The first is, of course, the Jewish people, which is symbolized by the Mashiach himself in the Golis. Okay. But the second thing is the God, Kaviyochel, so to speak, where the Bansham voluntarily submits to the dominion of the Sultan, and he allows the Sultan to take that, you see. So what, what that is, is uh, so, so therefore we realize that the Rebansham himself not, uh, has to be released. Kaviyochel, uh, as they say, doesn't mean that God is trapped or captured, but he himself has to now leave these impediments and we begin to reveal. That is called the Zechira. That is called the remembrance Zoha. In fact, in Yalav what do we say? The Pokeid the Zocher. See, that refers to the Pekida and the Zechira. You see, which is very important, you see. That means the Shechina, Kabbalistically that would mean, is that Teferes, which is the uh, fifth Sphira, enters or joins with Yesoid and Malchus. Whatever that means Kabbalistically. And what that means is the emergence of the Divine Presence itself from the Klippa. That is a very important concept. You see. And that's Vayeda Lokim. That God knew. You see. Uh, I believe that we are in the era of Vayeda Lokim. As I will point out. We are now in the area where God knew, which means that we are now either in the Pekida or probably in what's called pre-Pekida. In fact, I always, it's something very interesting. Next year is what? Toshin Pei? So maybe that means Tieshnas Pekida, right? Now that would be very interesting. In any case, <clears throat> so we are now in a certain Tekufa, as I will demonstrate, you know, and and that clearly illustrates what's going on. This isn't, this isn't times which are arbitrary. This isn't, wow, we can't believe what's happening. No, no, no. We are now, in many ways, a parallel to Egypt, which is the Pekida, or pre-Pekida, you see? And I believe that's really what you're seeing now. And that's why there are certain historical events which have never happened before. Never. And that's why they're happening now. So that's the first thing I want to mention, okay, which is very important, the timing, the creation calendar, the world calendar, okay, the concept of Pekida, which is one remembrance, the concept of Zechira, which is a second remembrance, you see, okay, and, uh, and uh, uh, hopefully that, of course, will be accelerated. But the interesting thing about that it's very important to remember is that once the Pekido has been achieved or reached, it is unstoppable and irreversible. That means we have reached what's called the Tikkun fulfillment. Basically, it's Be'itoi, which means in its time, which means in a certain sense we have reached the end of time that cannot be reversed. It cannot be stopped, which is great news, and it cannot be reversed, which means to go back, you see? And I believe that's really in the tkufa of really, of what's happening. You know, when you think about that, a beautiful parallel, we know that the Jews observe Kiddush Levana, right? They look at what's called the lunar phenomena, right? And they, of course, do Kiddush Achoydish, they sanctify the moon, and so on, you know? <clears throat> 
If you think about that, what is special about the lunar phenomena? Well, think about that. The moon starts how? It starts, it lines up in an exact vertical between the sun, the moon, and the earth. So as a result of that, you don't see anything. You cannot see the moon. Now remember, the moon doesn't have its own light. It needs the light of the sun, right, that reflected off the moon to be able to see. And then the moon moves sort of like left. Okay, right? And in a certain amount of time, you, so therefore, that's called the Meulad. When the moon exactly is in the same vertical as the earth, right, and the sun, then that's called the, the Meulad, which is called the, the, the uh, birth. birth moon. That's what it's called, the birth moon. Okay, then it moves leftward, so to speak, right? And then after a certain amount of time, it's got enough mass where the sun can be reflected off it. So that's the first beginning of the phase of the moon. Okay, and that's called the, the Chidush Levana. Not the birth moon, right? But it's called the new moon. And from that new moon is what the rabbis, the Sanhedrin, uh, the Supreme Court of the Jewish people, they were able to, view, you know, witnesses would view it, come to the Sanhedrin and they would declare or they would actually would declare uh, exactly which day in the sequence of days is the first day of a month. That's what they would declare. That's what Kiddush HaKadosh really is. It is the process of designation. Which day in the sequence of days is the first day of the month? So in that sense, they were able to fix the month because they fixed the first day. On which day is that? That had incredible spiritual significance and so on. Uh, which the rabbis could do. In any case, so why do we follow this? We have the birth moon, we have the new moon, and so on. Because what the Bonsham is indicating, the history of the Jews, which we parallel. The phases of the moon mirrors Jewish history. Well, I should say Jewish history mirrors the phases of the moon. You see? So the first part of Jewish history is what? Is when, uh, is when what? Is when the Jews, right, they got out of Egypt, in other words, the Jews basically were nowhere. They disappeared. They were subjugated under the rule of Egypt, correct? And they were not, they were not even a nation that had, that, that had its own identity, so to speak. It was subsumed under Egypt. Then they emerged, right? Mountain Torah. Then you had the desert. You had then, of course, all the king, the shoftim, the kings of Egypt. And the Jewish people grew. And that's the moon growing in light, you see? Eventually, however, they grew, right, until the Roman period, right? And at the Roman period, the Romans now, so they were politically independent all the years, until Rome, whatever, whoever the guy was, I think it was Augustus and so on, you know, he took them over, they, were, they, they began to be subjugated, and that was the beginning, really, many ways of the colors. I mean, they were always subjugated, you know, but they really began to, the real goal is with the Assyrian the persecutions and so on. Really starts with the Roman period and so on, especially with the advent of Christianity and so on. That's the real goal and so on, because the Jews experience unbelievable, uh, you know, uh, punishment, uh, suffering and pain, agony and anguish at the hands of the Christians and so on. But in any case, so that's, so therefore you could say that the moon, the, um, uh, the, uh, the Roman era begins, in a certain sense, the diminishment of the Jews, 
which parallels the diminishment of the moon. Because after the full moon, what happens to the moon? It goes down. It begins to diminish, right? Until what? It disappears. You see? So there was a rise in the moon, and now it disappears. That's exactly the history of the Jews. You see, the Jews disappear. Because when the Jews now go into Golis, they lose their ability to become spiritual, you see. And that parallels the moon. Of course, they don't really disappear, obviously. But clearly what happens to them is they now have to seek another way to do the tikkun. So in the beginning, they did it with Terimitris, as I've mentioned many times. Now they do it with the Asurin, because there's not enough Terimitris to do the tikkun, the rectification process. So therefore, they begin to go into Golis, which of course is the rectification as through Golis, which is the Asurin, or the suffering, that the Jews go through. So together with mitzvahs, commandments, tshuva, repentance, and suffering, the tikkun is complete. But what happens to the Jews? It gets worse. You see? You have the golas, then all of a sudden, here comes the, you know, the uh, 20th century, they're all assimilated, intermarriage, unaffiliated, and guess what? The Jews are disappearing. That's exactly what happens to the moon. You see? So just about what everybody said, well, it's over, right? It's over for the Jews. They're now about to terminate and exit the nations of the world. What happens to the moon? That's, right, the moilad, the birth moon, and the new moon. Hey, they're back again, you see? But this time when they're back, they are permanently back. And that's the Messianic era. So when you think about that, we keep the calendar based on the lunar, uh, lunar event, right? Which is called, by the way, a, luna a lunation, which is a complete cycle of the moon from birth, moilod, to birth, moilod. And that's exactly what's happening to the moon, uh, to, the, to the Jewish people. Because I said, because the phases of the moon mirrors the history of the Jewish people. It's an interesting idea. And actually, that's the Ramchal, even the Ramchal says, that there are a tremendous amount of secrets that you can learn about the journey of the Jews through history by understanding the phases of the moon. Very interesting. That, you know, he, he's alluding to the fact that therein lies enormous... There are several places that lie. I'll just tell you this, you know, we can really figure out an enormous amount of Jewish history as they journey through history. One is the phases of the moon, which is what Paul points out, Another one is Egypt. The history of Egypt is really the Jews doing tikkun, what happened to them where the Jews almost disappeared at the end. Remember in Egypt? They went in, it wasn't so bad, right? They go in and all of a sudden, right, in 210 years, they're down to the Memtesh-Shari right? They're down to the 49 levels of evil or contamination, right? And what does that mean? That four practical persons, they're gone, if not for the fact that they still maintain the identity as a Jew. Right, which was what? They didn't change their name, their dress, and their language. <clears throat> so they still had the identity, but for all practical purposes, they're gone. You see, that's the same. And then all of a sudden, they emerge. They leave Egypt. You see, so that's what's called a mini structure of the moon. You see, and then they go through it, the, the uh, cycles and so on, you know. So if you study the lunar phases, or if you study Egypt, the whole transition or how the Jews went into it and came out of it, 
who Moshe Rabbeinu is. In fact, from Moshe Rabbeinu, you can figure out who the Mashiach is. There's so much stuff that you can actually figure out because the Egypt is a model of the Jewish journey, of the entire Jewish um, attempt to do the Tikkun. And the same concept with the lunar phases. In other words, it's not by accident that God said, well, I want you to keep a, ca a lunar calendar. No. There's some incredible, mysterious ideas involved in these, in these two different models. Anyway, <clears throat> so that's a, a second idea. Now, a third idea which I wanted to mention is the concept of that there are four forms of spiritual evil. Okay? Where do they come from? Where they come from is the Torah. What does that mean? In the first Pasuk it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Fine. Then it says, and the earth was right? Tohu means uh, confusion, which is what Rashi says. Vayu means emptiness. Okay? and darkness on the face of the deep. Okay? Now, those four terms, toyu, voyu, choyshik, and tohoyim, are very important fundamental ideas. Because they represent what's called the four spiritual forces. In other words, there's not just one spiritual force, there are already four different types. Each one that is capable of creating it's an environment which is bad, you see, as we will see. What are these? So we have the biblical terms, toyu, voyu, choyshech, and tohoyim. Now, these four terms, or spiritual forces, in many ways are repeated in Yechezkel. When it says there that it, when he went to see the Maisim Merkava, the divine chariot, you see, and before he began to see the divine chariot, he witnessed or observed Right, four, four different things. One is called Ruach Sa'ara, a stormy wind. Onengodl, a great cloud. Eish Mislakachas, a fiery fire. And Neuga, a brilliant light. And then he began to see the Maisim Merkava. What does that mean? Because what's very interesting is that a Novi, what does a Novi do basically? You know, he goes into a trance, although he's, he's fully conscious, but he's in a trance, okay? And he now his consciousness now begins to ascend. Not him, he remains. But his consciousness begins to ascend where he's able to view all the spiritual worlds, literally. Even though he's here, you see. And as such, uh, he can then negotiate or speak to Malachim and so on. That's called... Uh, you know, it's it's a nevua prophecy, ruach hakodesh, and so on. So, uh, so, uh, but before he can go into the spiritual worlds, he's got to pass through the worlds of tumah, the worlds of the sultan. You realize that, yeah, because that's also spiritual. You see, so he's got to pass through the uh, the uh, the uh, contaminated worlds, the worlds of evil. And those are the four expressions. What, what Wait, those are the four expressions. Uh, the Ruach Sara, stormy wind, uh, great cloud, dark cloud, uh, fiery fire, and Neuga, the brightness. He passes through those spiritual worlds, and then he goes into, right, he, then he goes into what's called 
uh, 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 the higher aspects of Asiya, which is the lowest world, then into, of course, uh, um, uh, the, the Yitzira, and then there's Bria, and then, of course, and then so on. And then he's able to view the presence of God from the standpoint of one of those worlds. So that's so we, we see what the terms <coughs> of these this evil dimensions are in terms of the Torah, and also in terms of Yecheskel, and every novice apparently has to go through the same thing. We wait. Well, I'll lose my train of thought, and you don't want me to do that because there's a lot of details I got to get out. Okay, so he's got to go through these worlds, right? Because apparently it's interesting that you have to see in order to understand spirituality, right? Right? You know, um, you must understand its contrast, right? And what are the contrasts? The contrast is what? Is evil. So you have to see the different environments of evil, you see? And then you've got that, and then you can appreciate, so to speak, although it's not exactly what it is, then you can understand to a much greater extent the concept of spirituality, you see? Anyway, so that's what happened. Now, what that means also is that, if you think about it, these different forces can create different environments, which I mentioned actually in a Pesach shir. They can create different environments, which is interesting. And what are these environments? One environment is where good and evil basically are present in one place. So it's very confusing. You know, there's good and there's bad that masquerades as good. So after a while, and not only that, there's so many alternatives to evil, you know, what's going on, you see? So that's an environment of real confusion. Confusion in the sense of good and bad, you see? The second environment is basically where there is no good, really. There's just basically bad, you know? But there are different levels of bad. But it's basically, it is a very bad environment. The third level, and these are created by these forces, the third environment is where the bad itself has now been rationalized into an alternative system. It's called a Weltanschauung. You know, it actually can now understand bad as a legitimate, rationalized, logical way of life. You see, it's not just bad. It's got a whole philosophy behind it. And the fourth level, right, is when this alternative, uh, alternate system of evil that has been justified and legitimatized and so on, now pervades everything. It's now all over the place, you see. And in truth, what is interesting is that really is the concept of the four nations, you see. Egypt basically had all of this stuff in it. So when the Jews went to Egypt, they really entered these four environments, really, which was one nation. <coughs> but because they failed by the Chet Eagle, right, what now happens is they now have to go through different nations, four of them, that have these four environments of evil, remain righteous, and they, therefore they would destroy the nation. Because what they would do is once they broke, they, they remain righteous, or whatever the test was, they would suck out the Nitzitzis, the, the sparks of Kedusha, and that nation would collapse. You see? And then you go to the next nation. And that is why when you think about it, all the nations of antiquity are gone because they have all been collapsed because the Jews have entered them, taken out the holiness aspect of these nations, and they collapse. And you think about that, Egypt is no more, right? Babylon, so Egypt was the first that encompassed all four. 
But the four nations are what? Bovel, Babylon, right? Which is, is no more. The second nation is Persia, Poros, right? Iran. I'm trying to make a comeback here, right? Which is very interesting. But anyway, it's Persia, Poros, right? And that's no more. That was the whole story. So Bovel was the whole story of the destruction of the temple. Poros, Persia, was, of course, the story of Purim. Then you have Greek. Now, Greece was interesting because it's, it, Greece is famous for what? For science, for philosophy. So what they try to do is create an entire system of logic, you see, to justify um, what's called the arrogance of man and so on. You see? So Greece doesn't exist anymore. I mean, what's there now in Greece is a has-been. You know, no insult, no intended insult to Greece and so on. And of course, the last one is Rome. And what Rome did is took Greek culture, basically. It's mostly Greek culture. Didn't innovate too much of itself. And of course, uh, pervaded that throughout the entire creation. You see? So Greece started really modern civilization. Scientists credit Alexander with the real beginning. And Rome spread it throughout the entire world. You see? So those are really the four ideas. Or in the concept of Yechezkel. You have the, those expressions and so on, you see. So we realize uh, that there are four forces uh, of evil. They're nations, and not only that, but they are also uh, uh, nations and also, of course, environment. Now, what's important to know is this. We have four of them, right? We have, you know, the, you know we have in the biblical term, right? Now, here's the deal. Toyu, Voyu, and Choshech cannot change. Those are the forces of evil, essential evil. But the fourth force of evil is called Noiga, or brilliant light. Noiga changes, becomes good. You see, in fact, in a certain sense, there's a contest. Those three forces of evil, right, they're trying to get Noiga to side with them. And the Kedusha side is trying to get Noiga, that force of evil, to turn, to revert, and side with Kedusha. You see, Noiga is sort of like the in-between guy. So it's like a tug of war. It's really what's going on. It's a very important concept to understand. You see, so if that Noiga can convert being righteous, right, then automatically that is the ticket of the Bria. Because then that force of evil will join with the Kedusha and that will end, basically, uh, the world itself and the other three Kleepers will be destroyed. And that's what happens to them. They are destroyed. Those three uh, forces of evil are destroyed utterly. That's what happens in the Messianic era. And Noiga reconverts into good and as a result of that, it is now uh, part of the Kedusha and so on. Now that's a very, these are very important ideas to understand because the payoff of this is you're going to understand what's happening today, you see. But before I get into today, I want to mention this. There's a very important phenomenon in Judaism. What is that? That's called the mate, the staff that Moshe Rabbeinu used to perform the miracles. That staff is not just a piece of wood, you see. <clears throat> now, the story goes, of course, is that Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, God spoke to him at the snare, 
which of course is the burning bush, speaks to him. He says, okay, I want you to grab, you have a staff in your hand, right? All of a sudden, throw it down. And it becomes a snake. The same staff, which represents the holiness of God, you see, because that's with what he did the miracles with, also is really the snake, the satan. The very same item, very important idea, you have to, we have to explain it. The very same item called the mate really is the mate and the, and the nochosh at the same time. Same time, you see, which is a very, like I say, a critical idea, okay? The question is why? And then, of course, God said, pick up the snake, and it turned back into a mate. I mean, there God was saying, don't worry about Egypt, you know? You know, Egypt took all, all the, what's called the Nitzitzit Kedusha. They took all the sparks of holiness, and that's why they're so powerful. But after the Jews did the tikkun, whatever, it's gone. And therefore, pick up the, the therefore, the snake has no more power, because it survives because of the holiness of the mate. Same item. Pick it up, turn it back into a mate. You see? Now, that's a very important, uh, in certain ways, secret almost. Why would good and bad, holiness and evil, be, be, be exist in the same item? It's not like there's one item here, which is holiness, right? And there's another item here which represents evil. No. There's one item that has both in it. The question is, what's its form? Is it the form of good, which is holiness? Or is it the form of evil, which is the nochosh, the snake, which obviously represents the satan? Which is it? The question is, why is that? What's the secret of the fact that good and evil, holiness and, uh, holiness and evil, right? Contamination, whatever, is represented by the same item. This is the question. That's a very important idea. What does that mean? It means this, okay? There's a concept of a continuum. It's not that there's good and there's evil. Good and evil, which ultimately lead to holiness <coughs> and, uh, uh, holiness and uh, contamination, right? pollution, whatever, is really one stick, it's one concept. The question is, where are you on this concept? Where are you on the continuum? What's the continuum? The continuum, of course, is this, existence. What really exists? What's your belief? So, on one end of the continuum, which is the extreme right, right? is the concept of the only one that exists is God, right? Therefore, that's one end of the stick, continuum. On the other end of the stick is what? Which is really almost the middle, that besides God, there's me. In other words, I share existence with Him. And at the far end of the stick is I'm the only guy that exists. But notice it's one continuum. And the question is, where are you on that continuum? 
Do you believe Einoid Mavadoi? That's one end of this continuum. That's why a stick is really a continuum, right? In that sense. Einoid Mavadi, besides God, there is nothing else. Existence has only one being, basically. And we emerge from that being. Or the middle of it is like, wait, 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 wait. I admit that God exists also. But Yeshoid Mavadoi, he and I share existence, you see? And then that the extreme end is Einoid Mavadi. Besides me, there is nothing else. I'm the only guy. You see? Therefore, we understand now the concept of a nochosh. What does a snake want to do? What is evil? What evil wants to convince you is that you are the king, ultimately. You are. Everything revolves around you. Therefore, you can do whatever you want. Any act you want to do is okay because you are the man. You see? <clears throat> That's ultimately what the Satan wants to do. Of course, once you believe that, then you're going to do evil. See, so evil or the acts of evil are merely repercussions or consequences of what you believe yourself <coughs> to be and what exists in the real world, in reality. You see? <clears throat> Therefore, the stick is really both. Because the stick represents what is your belief of existence? Who is? You see? So if it's a mater, God is. And if it's a nochosh, you are. You see? But it's really the same continuum. You know, it, it, it's a very important concept, what I'm telling you. you know, I cannot emphasize. That's why the nochosh, the snake, and the mater, the staff of God, is one item. It's not two different items. It's a very important, so in many ways, it's a profound understanding of what evil is and what it wants to do to you. It wants to convince that you are independent, not only independent, in its worst form, you are the only thing that exists. Isn't that the struggle of Adhemari Yes, well, yes, and I'm going to show you now how that really is so important to understand. You understand, that's why... Uh, you know, the mate and the nochosh are really one item, you see. Because that's really what evil and good is. It's where are you on the continuum? The acts of evil or the acts of good are generated by your belief, that's all. But they are consequences. It is the belief that's fundamental. Got that? Now, let's take a look. It's interesting. I once shared this a long time ago. You know, those people... Those people who believe that they are it, they're called megalomaniacs. A megalomaniac believes that he is God, that I am. Of course they're not stupid, they see other people, but basically everybody else is a cockroach. You see, it's almost like, you know, I mean, what's your idea of a flea? It's nothing, even though we know it has existence, but basically, right? It's a non-being, you see. Okay? That's a megalomaniac. A real megalomaniac, and there were many examples in, in history, you know. There's a Caligula from Rome. There is uh, all these crazy dictators. Hitler was a megalomaniac. Yes, he was a megalomaniac. So was Stalin. I mean, what's his name? Uh, Mao Zedong. They're all megalomaniacs. Paro. What? Paro. Paro, yeah. Paro certainly thought he was a sure. god. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, <clears throat> these are megalomaniacs then that's the first level. And that's at the other end of the stick. 
You see? Then the next is not a megalomaniac, it's called egocentric, or rather an egomaniac. What's an egomaniac, right? What is he? No, he's not megalomaniac, means he doesn't believe that you're worms or you're cockroaches or whatever, right? What he believes is that, of course you're real people, but you all exist to serve me. You see, you have no importance other than serving me. That's an egocentric or an egomaniac. So he's, he's a little more healthy, he's a little more healthy than the megalomaniac, you see? But he's pretty bad off. You got it? So that's moving toward the, you know, less, more toward the right, right? Then you got the guy who is called, you know, an egoist. Who's an egoist? And of course you all exist, and you don't exist to serve me, but I want to tell you something. I'm much better than you guys. I'm much superior to you. You see, you, you guys don't hold a candle to me and my intellect, right? That's what this guy egoist says, right? It's the concept of arrogance, which is really the concept of superiority. So he's not crazy like the megalomaniac, where you don't exist at all, basically. And he's not egocentric or egomaniac, where you all exist to serve me. No, 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 you all exist, you serve yourselves and so on, but you can't compare to me. Forget about it. You see? So he's not as sick as the other two people, but he's, you know, you know pretty bad. And m many people that you encounter today are egoists. They think they're God's gift to the planet. You see? Almost. Then the fourth level, now these three levels is the power of the three levels of evil. You see? Because remember, the whole concept of evil is to deny and therefore the question is, where are they on the continuum? Where is evil on the continuum? That's the question. See, Then there's the fourth level, which is the gentlest level, although it is also, right? And that's a called cause concept of Yeshoid Mavadoi. You know, I'm not superior to anybody. We're all equal, you see? But we all exist. You see, God exists, we exist, and we are all equal. Uh, most people, that's called self-complacency. You see, where a guy thinks that, yeah, I can do whatever I want. I have my own will because I'm an independent being, you see. And therefore, uh, we're all equal in that sense, but so besides God, there's also me. You see, they believe to a certain extent that they have a valid, independent existence of God, but they're willing to share it with God in that sense. And these people, therefore, do, do whatever they want. Oh, you see, oh. then you begin to move to the other end. That's like the middle. And the other end, of course, is Einoi Bavadoi, you see? Which is very interesting. So that's really the continuum. That's why the Mater, you see, which is very important, is really evil and good, or holiness and contamination, exist in the exact same item. Because it's basically a continuum. The belief is a continuum of that item. Very important idea, you see. Now... I mentioned, where does man fit? So man is in the middle, you see? And he's being swayed toward Kedusha, or he's being swayed toward evil. So in that sense, the force of Neugah, which I said can go either way, really is that force where man is thrust into. Because a man can go either way. He can go toward the side of good, holiness, where he says, Enid Mavadan, right? And then he joins, he joins together with Kedusha, holiness, or he can go to the side of evil where he joins 
you know, all these delusions of grandiosity and so on, where he joins with the side of, uh, of evil. See, so man basically is noiga in the middle. And that's why in by Moshe Rabbeinu there were three components. What were they? There was Moshe, right? He's noiga in a certain sense. Not that he's noiga, but that he represents a person who can be swayed either way. You know, which represents all mankind. Now, of course, Moshe Rabbeinu, of course, wasn't swayed at all. Of course, he's one of the greatest Jews that ever lived, and so on. You know, and so on, right? And he's holding a mate, which is either holiness or. So you have three components here. You see, so the fundamental fabric of the Bria is three different entities. Entity one is God. Entity two is Tumor. And entity three is man. Which way does he go? You see? That's why Moshe holding the mate, becoming a snake, and then taking it in the back is an exact metaphor of the entire structure of creation. It's a very important concept to understand what that metaphor is, or rather, what that uh, item is, the concept of a mate, a staff, the concept of that staff being able to turn into a snake, the sultan, and the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu is holding it, you see. Very important idea. Now, once we understand that, you see, we can now understand a very important aspect of current events. Now that we understand this, these important ideas, what the fabric is, or what the fundamental nature of what Jews have to do and so on, Matan Nochosh, the different spiritual forces and so on, in a certain sense we now can have a handle on what's going on. In a certain way, as I mentioned, the Pekida, the pre-Pekida has begun, you see. What does that mean? That means, like I said, there are four spiritual forces that are bad, but one of them, called Neuga, reverts and converts to become good. Okay? It's interesting. Okay? Now, each one of these forces represents a nation. You see, the last nation, or the last, it's called Klipa, right, which is the worst, and so on, right, is the extension, the expansion of the evil across the world. And that's Esav. You see, Esav is the worst. But we know Esav is really who? He's Edom, the Edomites. Who is Edom? Edom is Rome, right? Who is Rome, right? The form of Rome is Christianity. You see, the bad part of Christianity, right? And who is Christianity today? It's basically Western civilization. Okay. So therefore, what is interesting is that they themselves have these different forms. In other words, not only are there different, four different spiritual forces, but each spiritual force itself has four within it, so to speak. Because in Judaism, everything is subdivided in the same exact things, spheres, and so on, you know, and uh, like for instance, the neshama. There are five as aspects of the neshama, right? There's going from, well, we go either way. You go from bottom to top, top to bottom. Let's say you have what? You have uh, nefesh, then you have ruach, going, I'm not going up to the holiest, right? Then you have, of course, neshama, chayo, nechido, and you can reverse, right? But, then, but the, the, uh, the nefesh itself has these five. Is the, the what do you call it, the, the nefesh of the nefesh, the ruach of the nefesh, you see, the neshama of the nefesh, 
Yechai of the Nefesh and the Yechid of the Nefesh. You see, so each one has the same four repeated on and on, and the same is true of spheres, which I once mentioned quite a while ago, and so on. Okay? The same thing is evil, because whatever's in Kedusha is also an evil, where you have these four also. So therefore it comes out, right, that in the worst Klippa, in the worst f uh, uh, force of evil, and so on, right, which is basically Rome and so on, right, and you have these four repeated. <coughs> you see? We can now begin to understand something in terms of what's happening today, okay? In America, right? The force of, <clears throat> there are four forces going on, which is interesting, you know. <clears throat> One is, uh, let's look at this way, Neuga, which I said is going to convert. The force of Neuga, right, is converting, that's Trump. You see, Trump is America doing tshuva. That's the concept of Tov Shebeisav. You see, Tov Shebeisav means the good part of Esav. I mentioned so many different times before. Esav does tshuva. Who is that? Donald Trump. He is Esav doing tshuva, and what he's doing is incredible. What the man is doing with Israel and so on, even with America, is, uh, is historical. You see? So, in a certain sense, Trump represents the force of Neuga, right, in the good side, where Neuga has now done tshuva. The other three, with an ace of, is evil. Who are they? Well, who, who would I identify them with, right? Who's the worst part? The Democrats, right? They're the worst. The next one after the Democrats are the media. That, you don't realize how, how evil the media is. It's beyond belief. But it's the Democrats and the media, because the Democrats is Together. the... Exactly, is the, is the what's called is the guy who's come up with the, all the the theory and the, and the to you know the judgment and all that right, and the media is the communications aspect of the of, of, of the Democrats. Who's the third? The third are basically and they're not as bad as the Democrats and the media. They are the never Trumpers Republicans. Yeah, same. This is also very bad. They are also opposing Trump, right? Except the Republicans. So in a certain sense, they're similar. They got commonalities here, you see, but they're all bad because they're all defying Trump. And the force of Trump is really Neuga in that sense, you see? So it's remarkable when you think about that, that all of these four different components of what's going on in America, and that's really what it is, is nothing more than the, the beginning of the end of these four. Three, I think, will be destroyed. And if Trump wins by a landslide in 2020, I think you may watch the be beginning of the unraveling of the Democratic Party. Certainly the media and everybody else. I think the Bunch may put an end to all these guys because they are incredibly evil. What they have done, they have demoralized America, right? They have introduced unbelievable, amoral uh, legislation, homosexuality. There's so much bad stuff in America uh, abortion. Abortion. I, I, I look. I, I can't go. I'm not going to go go through the list. But you cannot believe what the Democrats have done to this country. But what they have done is more than that. The evil that they're displaying now. <clears throat> these three. First of all, they have accused Trump of something that they knowingly knew was based on a false document. You have any idea what kind of evil that is? They knew the FISA court. <coughs> 
the, what's his name's uh, document is false. Yet they didn't care. So they created a hoax to destroy a president. A first evil. Second evil, even after Mueller said it was a hoax, sure. they're still trying to destroy the guy. It's beyond belief. You know what kind of evil mind it takes to do that? And the third evil, okay, is that in many ways they have defied the Constitution. Remember, the United States exists on the Constitution. That's what keeps us from destroying one another, as it says in the Office, you know? If not, yeah, exactly. If not for the fear of the kingdom, right? They, they would swallow each other whole alive. I mean, that, that statement of the the nature of man, you see. So when you attack the Constitution, or when you defy it, you know, and, and, and in many ways, uh, you know, uh, combat the Constitution, that's an incredible evil because that's what the country is based on. That's what gives the, the government the right to the authority and so on and keeps stability in this country. See, that's the third evil. You know what the fourth evil is? Because and by the way, to do that, the, the, uh, to go against the Constitution, because Trump is a constitutionally elected president, that's called treason. Really, they're guilty of treason. It's really what it is. That's the nature of the crime, as far as I'm concerned. It's okay? But the fourth evil is, in many ways, terrible. You know what that is? That by doing this to Trump, the American people have suffered terribly. That means there's no real legislation going on, right? I mean, what's the, what's the idea of a president? To legislate, right, or rather executive branch, is to try to introduce bills and all that through the Congress and all that, you know, to get America moving, to improve America, to enhance it. What are they doing? Uh, he can't do anything. He, he, not only are they stopping him in terms of the Congress, you know, but he can't push through any legislation. He's got to do everything on his own. You have any idea of what kind of tragedy and, and, and treachery that is to the American people. They are the worst victims of all, not just Trump. You see, those are the evils of these three parties, you see. So by understanding the nature of evil, what it can do, we actually can see that in Ace of himself, that is the worst form of evil, these four sub-levels exist. And I, we can see how three of them are evil, literally, right? And we can see how one is actually good. You know, it's the tshuva of Esau, which is supposed to now help the Jewish people. That's what's happening. You see, now that's a very important idea, just to give a context or a framework to what? To, you know, it's our, our piyashkofa, you see, to understand what this means in terms of uh, what's going on today in terms of hashkofa. Anyway, so now, that's the first thing. To show you we are pre-Messianic, which is pre-Pekido, you know, there are three things happening now that never happened before. It's historical. What are they? One, Trump. The concept of Trump, a man that's turning over America literally, right? And the concept of, so he himself is historical. Nobody ever saw a guy like this. They can't predict him. They can't stop him, you see? And they hate him. You see, that's historical. <clears throat> Part of that historical idea is the opposition. You see, the opposition never happened before. Nobody ever did this to any president of the United States. I mean, there are people who disagree with the president, fine. 
but you don't spend the whole four years trying to throw him out. Impeachment. Impeachment. It's incredible what's going on. He got crazy. And this is after he's been exonerated by Mueller. It's insane. We are looking at something that has no precedent in American history. Why? Because we are looking at Geula redemption. And I told you, at the end of time, it's like the end of Egypt, where God says to the Jews, and the Egyptians are about to attack the Jews, right? At Kriya Samsov, the Red Sea, right? Watch what I will do. You see, you guys don't say anything. You guys already did your tikkun. I'm going to take over now. You see, and that's exactly what God did. And God says, right? You know, watch, right? God is going to fight for you. And he wiped out Egypt. You see, that's what happens in the end. You see, in the end, Egypt, uh, evil must be wiped out. You see, very important idea. But there's something that has to precede the wipeout. And that is they have to acknowledge that they were wrong. There's two concepts of determination of evil. Evil have to say, you know, you are right and I am wrong. That's why Yaakov Avinu fought with the Malach. The Malach had to say to him, the angel which he fought, had to say to him, hey, you know, you're right, right? And I was wrong. And he blessed him with the name he Why swear. is that necessary? Because then you would always think, well, the reason why good won is because it was stronger. Not because it was right, you see. In the end, you got to know what was right, not just who's stronger. So evil must admit, that's what the Malach did, that the Malach was a something. He admitted to Jacob, Yaakov, right, that he called him Israel, because Sarisa and so on, you fought with uh, exactly, and you subdued, of course, you won, because he had to admit, and then he sent them on his way. In the end, that's what's going to happen. Evil has to admit that they were wrong, and then they are terminated. So who knows what's going to be in 2020? It will be fascinating to watch in many ways, the end, wait, wait, the end or the dissolution of the Democratic Party. Because what they are doing is unheard of in American history and is the height of evil and is the height of the violating and treachery to the Constitution. Now, so that's the first unbelievable thing. Anybody watching American news cannot believe what happens on a daily basis. You, see, you can't believe it. Okay, right now it's two and a half years and we're already what's called inert. We're already, you know, like, like what else is new, right? Immune, inert, whatever, you know, because of it. But if you really think about it, when it started, you couldn't believe it. That's the first thing. The second thing which is about to ha which has happened, which is incredible, is Iran. Iran is Yishmuel. Iran is the evil of Yishmuel. You see, even Yishmuel, I mentioned, has a good part. They all want to join with Israel. They're all dying to join with Israel. You know, the Gulf states, uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, because they really say, hey, hey, the future's with Israel, not with us. You see? <clears throat> because oil is being pumped out by America and much greater than the Arabs. The America doesn't need Arabs anymore, the oil. And so they realize, the, you know, the handwriting's on the wall, as they say, right? Who's stopping them? Iran. Iran is the focus, the focal point of evil. But what's happening now? America's going to take them out. It's already happening. You see that, right? They shot down that drone, right? Which is ridiculous. I mean, they didn't know the drone was in international waters. No. Iran is desperate to flex its muscle. It's dying economically. So it has to bluff, frighten everybody, right? So everybody will run back with Iran and join them again and say, wait a minute, okay, we'll restore the economy, you know, and so on, you know. It's a bluff. 
It's trying to frighten the world what it can do. But they picked on the wrong guy, Trump. And remember one thing, Iran is Yishmuel, and Iran is the last war. You should know one thing, if Trump takes out Iran, that, that means he took out the last war before the Mashiach, because I mentioned the Medrash, which says in the Medrash of Yalkut, uh, that Iran will begin a war against Arabia, and Arabia will consult with the Edom, which is America, then Iran will begin to destroy the world, whatever, and then of course the whole world will shake, and of course they, then, uh, then God, and God announces to Abbas called Divine Voice, that this is the Higiazman Gulastem, the time of your redemption has arrived, and it's over. You see? And that's what he will, and, and therefore Iran is the end, you should know. But the amazing thing is that this is not, uh, you know, this is not happening after Mashiach come. This is happening now, which means that we, this is a precursor, literally, to the Pekida. It's incredible to watch. There's an unbelievable excitement going on if you realize that the fall of Iran is the beginning of the redemption, based on that Medrash. That's the second thing, and it's historical. Never happened before. And the third incredible thing is that Netanyahu failed to put together a coalition. I told you you have to watch the Air of Rav. I gave a whole shit about the Air of Rav, which I'm not going to repeat. You know, these are the guys that are Jews uh, and they're anti-Torah and so on. Anyway, uh, first time in the history of Israel that a prime minister failed to put together a coalition that won the elections. Netanyahu won the elections, right? But without a coalition, there's no government, right? And he failed. First time in history. You know, which is incredible when you think about that. What we're probably watching is the end of Netanyahu as a prime minister. You see, which is interesting. Would you think about that? First of all, the fact, like I said, that they got exactly 60 votes and Fagelin and what he called Bennett failed to come into the threshold. If they would have come in, then there would have been a problem, even with Liebman, right? Who cares about what Liebman says? They have a majority. But it was an exact counting that Fagelin's party, right, and Bennett's party failed, and therefore Lieberman is now the kingmaker, you see, and he denied the coalition, which itself is incredible when you think about that, because it doesn't make sense, because they gave everything to Lieberman, what he wanted, he still didn't care. I mean, the reason is obvious why Lieberman did that. One, because he hates Netanyahu, wants to destroy the man. The second reason is because he needs a new constituency, because his constituency, which were the Russians, they're all becoming Israelis. So they don't need to leave them anymore to represent them. They are Israelis, you see? So what he needs is a new con constituency, and the new constituency, of course, is anti-Haredi, those who hate the Jews. The That's left. why, the left, yeah. That's why he's doing it, because he has no constituency, got it? He, ha he needs the left, you see, or else he's out, you know? So he's now joining Lapid in that sense, because he's hoping to really become <coughs> famous, you know, and so on by anti-Haredi, but you should know, he will suffer a terrible fate because he used to be, not Haredi, but he used to go around to all the Rabbonim and ask for brothers. Who? Uh, Lieberman. Victor Lieberman? Yeah, they used to they have videos of this. And now for him to turn against the Haredi, it's beyond belief. You know what kind of treachery that is? What do you think God's going to do when he looks at him and he's no more of use to God? Because right now he is. He stopped the Tanyol, you see? now. Why did he stop Netanyahu? There's the two reasons, right? What's the Chochmah? Because had Netanyahu been able to put together a coalition, then he would have passed a law that he cannot be indicted. 
But now that he didn't put a coalition, and even if he wins on, wins on September 17th, right, he's going to have his hearing about the indictment on October 2nd, you see, which is not enough time anymore. It this, takes time. Yeah. yeah, to make the law, and therefore if, what's his name, Mandelblit indicts him, he's out. And even though he says legally he doesn't have to quit, it's a mistake. Because the majority of Israel does not want an indicted prime minister, number one, and uh, he's going to have such pressure, he will have to leave, you see? And then, maybe the guy who's going to come in is what's called the transition guy. And he will begin, be able to bring the Jews back, hopefully, to their Torah. Not by force, very important to understand that, not by force, but in some type of a convincing manner where everybody will want to come back to Torah. And that brings me, see, so we have three, what's called unprecedented events. And therefore, that brings me to this, oh wow, uh, which is what we are witnessing is an upheaval. <clears throat> that there are four stages in Gaula in a certain, in a, from another framework. One, there's the Tikkun process, which takes time. And mankind is now under the, in many ways, under the subjugation of evil and so on. And there's an enormous amount of apicosis and so on, all the uh, evil ideas and so on, you know. And the world has to be enlightened. You see? It's the concept that the world is dark, ignorant. The second phase is the over upheaval and the overthrowing. And these are, this is transformative of evil itself. And that's what the Bansham is doing with the concept of what's going on in America, and Iran, and Israel, the Bershom has to remove all the evil, you see? That's the transformation that has to occur. You know, it's, if you have a disease, it's one thing to have the disease, right? But then you gotta stop the disease, right? You gotta, you gotta stop the disease, right? And that's the concept of the transformation phase, and we are witnessing stopping the disease, stopping evil in many different places, you see? The third phase is called rehabilitation. Okay, the guy is sick, he's no more sick, right? The disease has been stopped, which is stage two. Stage three, but hey, he's not back anywhere near what he used to be. He's got to be re rehabilitated, you see? And that's with the Bansham, and that will be one of the greatest miracles of all. We go in the sense that God has to bring the Jews back to the Torah before the Mashiach comes. Because the Mashiach is not going to come to a nation that is at a zero level. It's called the Matzah Shvela. He, he's not going to come to a nation that is so low in spirituality that it almost doesn't exist. Remember what I said? It's the moon disappearing. Mashiach does not come to Klai's world when they have disappeared. You see? He's going to come when there's a Moilad. And that's called rehabilitation. And that is about to happen. We don't know how but it's going to be one of the greatest miracles the world will have ever seen. <clears throat> the Jewish nation will now be rehabilitated to come back to the Torah. And then what happens is, and at the, not only the Jewish people have to be rehabilitated, but Mashiach ben Yosef himself, as I spoke quite a while ago, he himself needs a rehabilitation where <clears throat> all the impediments against him have to be removed, and he grows. And then you have what's called normative, where the person is now rehabilitated, is now normal, right? That's Mashiach ben David, where he now brings in incredible amount of Kedusha and or, and that's the Messianic era. So we are really witnessing, in a certain sense, the disease being terminated, you see? The rehabilitation. We're right in between, I, I should say, we are witnessing the upheaval of evil. 
you see. And, and the way we're witnessing is, is the fight. This incredible fight. You think evil wants to go down? Of course not. That's Kriya Samsov. Where evil said, hey, we're finished, but I, we're not going under. And they researched to attack the Jewish people again. And then God destroyed them. You see? So evil fights, and now it's really trying to fight. They're trying to destroy Trump as part of that concept. The, uh, Iran is researching, trying to research again, right, by blowing up different ships, because that's Yishmol, the evil of Yishmol. And it's amazing what Netanyahu did, because what he did, you should know, is a terrible evil. You know why? Because what he should have done is he said, hey, I can't put the coalition together, right? Okay, so Rivlin will appoint somebody else to do a coalition. You see? Or whoever that would have been. Hopefully it would have been Gideon Saar. And so on, right? But Netanyahu said, no way anybody else is going to have a chance. Because it's possible if Gideon Saar would have been chosen, Netanyahu, uh, Liebman doesn't hate Gideon Saar, you see? So it's possible that he would have relented. He said, okay, you see? But Netanyahu will not give up the kingship, you see? So what he did is he called new elections, which is millions and millions of shekel. Do you have any idea the whole country is now thrown into elections again? You see, which is a, tens of millions of shekel. For what? Because of his ego? Because he wouldn't allow anybody else to rule, right? Because he knew Rivlin is going to appoint somebody else. So therefore, he threw the whole country into chaos with another crazy election for the next three months. You have any idea what goes on? And now they're all out there again trying to get the voters again. And they're all trying to put each other down. It's another three-ring circus. You see, with the same vindictive behavior and, 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 and lush and horror that each one is saying about everybody else. And besides that, it costs millions of dollars. I don't know how many, a hundred million shekel? 40, 40 million dollars. Wow. That's an election. Like, oh yeah, yeah sure. Why? Yeah. Yeah. why? Because of Netanyahu's because of ego. Is he out of his mind? How do he do something like that? Because he's more concerned with himself. Than he, of course, it's not covered, it's power. Covenant is one thing. Okay, I'm honored, but that's not where it's at. It's power, that's where it's at, right? Because he wants to be the king, right? So he threw the entire Israeli population, right, into a chaos. And now everybody's slandering each other, and it's going to cost them, I don't know, 40, 50 million shekel or dollars, or whatever it is, right? The whole country's in chaos now because of this. They can't believe what's going on, you see? All he had to do was say, listen, I can't put a coalition together, I'm out. So what he did is he, he dissolved the government exactly to prevent that, you see. But that is an incredible evil. So right now, who's ruling the country? The old coalition. No, he's the caretaker government. Uh -huh. You have to have somebody, no. By default. Yeah, By, well, yeah, what that's called the, well, even here, if you win in November, you still have the original government until January, right? Mm -hmm. Same idea, you can't can't dissolve the government, or, and it's real chaos, you know? So, uh, so but anyway, at the end of the day, he's ruling to the amount of time that's till so September. That, till September, yeah. yeah. So he has something. Well, that's part of the cheshbon. The real cheshbon is, oh no, even if I can't put, it's like, it's what's called Thomas Nafshim Plishtim. Right. You know, when Shimshon died, right. right? He said, okay, I'm about to go, you know, but let everybody die with me. I'm gonna die with everybody else, right? But if he's indicted at the end, he's gonna go down in disgrace. Yes, he will. He will go down this If he left now, he might have, he might save face. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I didn't put the coalition, Liebman did it. 
He got me, you know? Right. And that's it, but he still walks away with all the accolades of triumph, you know? He did, I mean, in the end, he was an incredible prime minister, not from a uh, Torah standpoint, from, but from a uh, standpoint. Well, even that I'm not sure about, because the economy is, you know, whatever. Even though there's a rise, but there's a tremendous amount of poverty. There's two million kids, I don't know if you know that, below the poverty level. They just came out with that statistic a couple of two minutes. Uh, <laughs> below the poverty level. I mean, you believe this in a country, and not only that, I mean, you check or take out the apartment prices and the, the cost of living is insane. It's, um, I don't know if I give him any credit for that, but certainly in terms of security, and even, even security, I won't give him credit, because Jews are dying left and right at the hands of Hamas. Where is, is, this? Yeah, where, where, where is this guy? Where are you? Excuse me. They, they pushed the red button a long time ago. But in any case, but at least... You know, in a certain certain ways, he was a very good prime minister. There's no question about that, and so on and so forth. You know, so he'd go out with some type of honor. Now he's going to go out with disgrace. But anyway, look, the Russian man has his bonus and so on. But anyway, but this is just, what I'm trying to point out is this is all historical. This never happened before. You see, so you're looking at three different events that are historical: Trump and his successes and his incredible opposition. Look at the beginning of the destruction of Iran, and who knows, maybe it means that Trump will go to war with Iran, destroy the Mullahs, right? And new elections, and they're now going to have a normal society in Iran, which is the fall of terrorism, you should know. That's the end of Hezbollah, that is the end of Hamas, that, that is the end of all of these guys, because there's no money, and there's no support from Iran. It's over with. I mean, there'll always be loners and so on, but the, the what's called the moral fiber of, of, of evil, of terrorism, is gone. That's one of the greatest things. That's why Trump should destroy Iran. Iran. Forget about economy and oil. Excuse me, you know, if, if I met with Trump, what I would say to him is the following. I said, what are you talking about? <clears throat> Do you know how much evil Iran does on a daily basis? Do you have any idea how much suffering, agony, anguish, and pain is caused by Iran to millions of people. Take them out just for that. Forget about they have the nuclear weapon and so on. These are the most evil people on earth. Not take out Iran, take out the Mullahs. Forget about if they're building a nuclear weapon or not. You know, do the world a favor. You know, how much suffering is caused because of this one nation. You see, that's what I would tell them. Hey, maybe they'll listen, who knows. In any case, because Iran deserved, not Iran as people, but the Iranian government, the Mullahs, deserve to be destroyed. Of course. Look how much suffering they do. How many people have died because of them, and so on. You know, just like Trump is taking out ISIS, he's got to take out Iran too. It's a moral obligation to destroy evil. And if you can do it, well, of course, America can. And now he's got a, a beautiful pretext, the drone. He's not using it. Anyway, mistake that Trump is making. But anyway, okay, that's between him and God. But the main idea is that we are witnessing three things. All part of the messianic process, and like I said, uh, is all part of these spirit, the evil forces and so on. And this is basically... You didn't address Goygumogu. I once did. Yeah, Goygumogu. Well, Goygumogu is fundamentally, I believe, the UN. Because they are exactly all the 70 nations that are against Israel. They always they have a double standard. And that's Goygumogoy, and so on. I don't believe there's a real nation. Goygumogoy is Gematia Shirin, by the way, 70, and so on, you know. They actually fulfill the whole concept of Goy from the land of Mogoy. What's that? To, to try to, 
take away Jerusalem from Israel, which they've tried to do, and so on, you know. So I believe Gog and Magog is really uh, the United Nations. But look what's happened. So therefore, if Gog and Magog is fulfilled, if the Iranian war is fulfilled, what's left, right? Then the upheaval, hopefully the, the, this, uh, the dissolution of the Democratic Party, in the media anyway, nobody goes to the media. They're all losing subscribers and all that, and so on, you know. Then, and, and the air of Rav, the main thing is the air of Rav, get rid of the air of Rav, you know. Uh, and the Kaisal, you know, willingly will want to do tshuva, and that will be one of the greatest nisim of all time. The rehabilitation of the Jewish people back into a nation that are scholars, terrorist scholars, and worship God. Then the Mashiach ben Yosef come, comes where he himself is rehabilitated. That's the incredible thing, and that begins the entire redemption. Our so he will have to fight now. Mashiach ben Yosef won't have to fight if, if Trump does. If he knocks out Iran, so then Mashiach Yosef won't have to fight. He won't have to fight Iran. No, no, you know, he won't have to fight Iran. Trump no. will do the job for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So he'll have, he'll be able to live. He will be able to live, yes. He's living anyway, so. Living anyway, yeah. No, but we're dying all the time. They shouldn't die. Yes. He doesn't die. Because like Torn said, the Vilna Goyen says the Remez, because Yaakov Avinu said, Oisif B'ni Chai. Yeah, that's, that's the Remez, that he won't die. The Russian does not want him to die, because uh, he gave him a kapora by bringing him back in many incarnations, and he suffered. But in the last incarnation, he will be okay.